Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate as commercial surf parks open up all around the world. I'm your host, Brian Dickerson, editor at Wave Pool Mag. And together we'll explore this amazing new landscape by talking to the dreamers, developers, engineers, and everyone making this space happen. These are the personalities who are defining the breadth and scope of artificial wave making today. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My guest today is Brendan Buckley, or Buck, as we affectionately call him. He is the editor-in-chief at STAB, former print publication, now online and digital, recently put up a paywall and is now subscription only, although there is some free content on there. And the publication is really innovative. They put on STAB High, which was done in Waco one of the unique wave pool air contests. And we have Buck on the on the show today just to kind of give us our uh, a perspective from the surf world. I know on the show we usually have people who are wave pool Mac developers, engineers, kind of the, the nerdy set, but Buck is cool. He surfs. I'm cool. Write- I'm not a nerd. Are you <laughs> sure? Write- he writes about surf. So um, this is just to kind of kind of change it up and get a breath of fresh air. So, so Buck, thanks for joining us and being a breath of fresh air here on the show. You know, immediately I'm going to push back on the not a nerd thing a little bit because <laughs> my wife, she's going out to dinner tonight with some friends. And when something like that happens, I almost always just go to weird historical documentaries on YouTube, like probably <laughs> stuff that was made in like the early 2000s. Shit they used to like roll yeah. out when I was in school on the, you know, they roll out the TV. Uh-huh. I just revisit that genre of film. So I don't know if that gives me full nerd credentials, but I felt like I needed to air that out. Yeah, I, I think if you recite the facts at social gatherings, then mm. you're in the nerd field. Yeah, that's next level. I'll work on that. <laughs> okay, right on. So you, I'd like to hear a little more about you and, and Stab. You're, uh, l- let's start with you. What, what's your background? Well, I grew up in New Jersey. I now live almost on the same exact latitude, just across the ocean, across the Atlantic in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And between the two, I lived in California for a while. I was at Surfing Magazine there. And then I lived in France for five or six years as well, where I was at Quicksilver. So mm-hmm. I bounced around a bit and now I'm here. When I left Quicksilver, which was about two years ago, almost, yeah, right on two years ago, I took the full-time job at STAB. I was a freelancer for them for a bit, just a contracted writer. And the opportunity came up with the paywall to have that full, somebody going hard at the editor-in-chief role. So mm-hmm. I like the sound of that and made the jump. Wow. And and that's kind of the opposite because I know within uh, digital surf publications, people tend to go, yeah, like Evan Slater, he was editor at Surfer, and then he jumped on and now he's the marketing guy at Billabong. That seems to be the natural migration and and you did it backwards. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I think even when I first accepted the job and got it going, I I wrote something, just a little piece saying, Hey, hello, this is who I am and what I'm going to be doing here to the audience at Stab. And I mentioned Mm -hmm. that in it. I was like, yeah, this kind of felt like a weird step to take. It is very much usually the opposite direction. It's usually you're going from, I mean, I had, I already made that step. I went from serving magazine to the full-time job at quick and at quick, I was, my role changed a few times 
in my years there. And I guess I got the sense I was climbing up. So I was kind of on that path. And then the opportunity at SAB came up and I couldn't say no. I mean, I also really wanted to move to Portugal and I was tied to an office in France with Quick. So it just felt like the right thing to do at the time. And two years later, it still feels right. And then now you're there, you're there in Portugal and you're okay, right on. And with, um, I want to bring STAB into this, mostly because you're the, the, the first platform to embrace wave pools in kind of, kind of a unique way. Uh, I know uh, Sam McIntosh, he put on STAB High a few years ago, and it was a really creative way to use wave pools in a surfing context to kind of change a comment, co- contest format and to change the way we, we interact with the, with the wave pools and such. What do you know about Stab High at Waco and how it, how it came about? And are you going to do any in the future? Ooh, a lot of questions there. Fun to answer. Stab High Waco. <laughs> that was a time when I was, I was involved at Stab, but I was on that freelance just writer level. I was fully employed at Quick, so I just kind of wrote for Stab on the side, just weekends, nights, usually with a glass of wine Mm -hmm. in hand, had some fun with it. And so that first Stab High, I was, I kind of got this interesting perspective because I had a foot in the door. And so I was hearing about it and knew a little bit about it. Probably saw lists in advance of who's coming, who's not, all that. But I got to consume it as just anybody else would have. I think I even paid. I didn't ask them. I kind of figured they had a million things on. So I wasn't going to be one more email saying, Hey, give me a code to watch. I paid the $9, whatever it was. And it was so cool because that was the first experience for me in surfing where you could just know, like, you know, you order your pizzas and you get some friends together and you kind of know you have this event. And obviously sometimes even with WSL events, you could keep an eye on the forecast and see how the event is unfolding. And have a good idea that a final is going to run. And even if you do the math, know what time the final is going to run. But just knowing that you had this thing, like it was another sporting event, just like watching a game or something. It was it was really cool to interact with it on that level. And then another thing there that I love just from afar was I felt like with wave pools and with, there's a certain side of wave pools that you could see kind of pushing surfing towards a way more tech kind of gymnastics level i guess it happens in snowboarding to an extent where things seem so controlled with stab high waco i felt like it showed that you could take a wave pool and really have that fun loose other side of surfing that i think a lot of us are drawn to that more free and wild and do that in a wave pool and still make it about performance and airs and everything and so culturally i really love that event i it could have so mm. gone the other way it would have been so yeah. easy to have a an air event at a wave pool that was just like just focusing on the tiniest little things and just really geeked out and hey, mm-hmm. maybe that will come in the future and I'd probably watch it. I'd probably enjoy it. But the fact that that first stab high set the tone with with that culture, having a party, doing it like that in the heart of Texas, it was just, it was so cool. So I watched that one from afar and I loved everything I saw. And and what is, I know within, I'm working from Wave Pool Mag and, and doing all our content that we do here. I'm, I'm kind of in this bubble where, uh, it's everything is wave pools and you're in touch with ocean surfers, the core surfing community out there at Australia, the U S and elsewhere in the world. If you had to draw a generalization about the average surfers view of wave pools, what, uh, 
what would you come up with, Buck? I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who's been to a wave pool and not enjoyed it. My experience has been fairly limited in terms of visiting them, but I could certainly say that about myself. It's it's every time I've gone, it's been insanely fun. And so I think everybody that I know, especially in our audience, is fully embracing it and, and sees the value of just, again, having that control of knowing at 8 p.m. on Friday, I have this thing to look forward to, you know, and I know I'm going to get, I know what the wave that I'm going to get looks like. I know what board I want to ride. It's just like you could prepare. It's just something we're so not used to in the ocean. And personally, I don't think I've seen, uh, off the top of my head, I don't really remember seeing anything in our audience of people bashing that in any way or really finding anything negative to say about it. It just seems like anybody who's went loves it. And um, I guess maybe the surf ranch as a contest doesn't necessarily get a lot of love from our audience. Uh, doesn't get a lot of love from myself either, to be honest. But in terms of the personal experience of it all, I don't think anybody has. I don't, I, I think you'd have to try to find something negative to say about it. I don't. I can't really fathom it. Well, you and you and I got to surf at the uh, Alaya Bay Winter Cup together mm. during during winter, and that was uh, that that was interesting. That was you being from New Jersey, you were used to there being snow on the ground. Uh, for me, it was the first time I'd surfed with with snow on the ground. What what was your impression of uh, Alaya Bay and that event, the, the Winter Cup? Oh, I had so much fun. That was <laughs> so my experience with wave pools before that. I think can probably help to paint a picture. Before that, I had been to Kelly Slater's wave pool twice. Mm-hmm. On both those trips, I caught a total of I think I stood up once at, at least the top of the wave. Basically, we had a quicksilver thing there. It was a Young Guns event. And for that event, because we wanted to see more, we wanted to see the most exciting surfing possible. We kind of broke the wave up into sections to encourage the kids to go really hard at it, not feeling they had to surf for 90 seconds straight or whatever it was and just get to the end. We broke it up so that they're just, you know, they saw their buddy down the line and knew that the, they're going to, their wave technically ends there. And so we took that same approach to the 40 minute, whatever the session is, last little chunk that us production crew got. And it was a ton of fun, but it was, there was maybe eight of us and maybe, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it felt like there was about that number of waves in that window. And I didn't have that experience of a start to finish wave. I, we just decided, Hey, this thing looks tricky to figure out. We saw the kids kind of take a while to figure it out. And so we just said, Hey, everybody, we're all going to get like five waves if we do it this way. And that way we're going to get more goes at it. But I didn't have that like dreamy Kelly Slater, you know, start to finish wave experience. And then 45 seconds of barrel. Yeah, exactly. And then I went back for, to do some CT coverage of the event there. I guess that was 2021. And that was just a horrendous experience. It was (laughs) like 105 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's a situation where you can't even... Like I feel like even if you're at a CT contest, normally a lot of times you could surf off to the side. And if you can't do that, you can at least just jump in the water. And it being so hot and just driving from Southern California to get there and just knowing that you're not going to, you're going to be surrounded by surfing, but you can't do it yourself. I did not mm-hmm. like that at all. And so, so I had was, those two. It was 105 degrees and you couldn't go in the water to cool off. You couldn't even go in the water to cool off. Uh, <laughs> it was just it was just a grind. It was just so dusty and everything too. It was, 
it, it made me question what I may have done in either this life or past lives, just at a kind of more karmic level because it was torturous. <laughs> it was torturous. So I had those two experiences. And then that trip to Alaya Bay was my first time surfing a full wave pool session. And so the day before that contest, you got like a warm-up session or whatever. And mm -hmm. it was just the most fun thing ever. It was just, I happened to know some of the people that I went out with that first session and they had surfed it before. And so they encouraged me to kind of get the first wave and just being like pressed up against that corner and being like, how's a wave going to come out of here? That feeling of it first, of you first seeing it and yeah, everything about it was just incredible. And, and then that, that contest. And, and being a contest and then people helping you out, telling you where to line up and when to paddle. Yeah. Yeah. And it was <laughs> In just a competition a, setting. That's amazing. Exactly. It was such good vibes the whole time. It was like just very, very fun. I probably didn't take the competition side super seriously. I was just there mm -hmm. to enjoy myself and enjoy my first full crack at a wave pool. Uh, and I did that. <laughs> so I think I made a heat. <laughs> I think I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, you did. You made your first heat. And uh, then you were doing, if I remember correctly, pop shove and they weren't rewarding you with proper No, scores. no, they didn't like that. <laughs> I rode a, I rode this 5.0 EPS board. Just I usually ride it in small summertime waves, and I just was loving it there. I mean, I've probably caught in thousands of waves on this board. I've had it for like five years. It's just my yeah. favorite. So I really know how that thing is going to react in different situations. And I rode it there. I was just doing dumb stuff, ollies, shove just enjoying mm -hmm. being in a swiss valley while it's snowing surfing and um i was more focused yeah. on that than i was the competition but that whole experience was incredible i think yeah. we had a fondue uh, we got a fondue we that did. night too yes I, like, with, which we, some, someone said you're not supposed to eat fondue before an event or how did that work <laughs> yeah i got warned by my friend who has a swiss partner and spend some time there he's like hey that's gonna like clog you up you don't want to just eat a ton of melted cheese and then expect to like be feeling your best tomorrow morning i was like yeah. in switzerland like i just served for two hours in the snow <laughs> i'm eating a fondue you're you're a psychopath and so but it, yeah. it was such a great session i mean atmosphere it was in an old medieval castle the restaurant down down below was just wonderfully old world europe and then and then the next day surfing a wave pool yeah. And that like, that just stuck out to me as well, because I don't love snowboarding. I'll go, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll tolerate it, but it's not like something that I seek out to do on my own. And surfing is just so much more fun. It's there's it, so it, much yeah. more going on. Snowboarding <laughs> just feels like too static to me. I don't know. It's just gravity. There's no dynamic it's, movement with it. Exactly. And I just feel like I'm going to get hurt the whole time. And yeah. so I'll go. But my favorite thing about snowboarding is that after, you know, that, after ski kind of experience where you're tucked in after a long day in the cold and you do have just a hot meal and maybe a wine or a beer and it's just this extreme sense of reward after having earned it mm -hmm. and that really struck me i love that feeling i try to pursue that just in winter surf sometimes too like i, I actively think i'm i'm really geared towards that idea of a reward and so i felt like that was a huge part of the swiss experience was just kind of feeling like you suffered out there in the cold for a while and really earned just a, a nice meal, a nice warm melted cheese <laughs> meal. So I loved it. And that, and and that's one of the unique things about wave pools is, uh, you know, each one has its own kind of vibe and setting. Alaya Bay is definitely unique. 
being sent in the Swiss Alps and incorporates all those wonderful Swiss things into it. Other pools around the world are, are different. We were in uh, Korea. We went to Wave Park, which is just uh, over the top, bright, loud, colorful, animated amusement park. And uh, the wave there is great, um, but it's just a different setting. As you see wave pools pop up in different places, do you think that kind of, uh, from what you've seen, do you think wave pools are doing a good job of incorporating their kind of local area, local vibe in, uh, in their presentation, in their mission statement? From what I've seen, yes. And that's firsthand at Alaya Bay. Firsthand at Surf Ranch, I guess. I don't know what they're really pulling from. Just a weird well, farmland where... We're hot. <laughs> yeah. Tractors. How did it smell? Did Surf Ranch smell like earthy, chlorine? It didn't. The smell didn't strike me. It was more just that, like, you walk out of, we were staying at the, not the second time, the first time for the Quicksilver thing, we were staying at the casino. And just that that type of heat where if you walk out, it just kind of punches you. You feel like mm-hmm. you kind of walk into a different texture. Mm. That was just the most, the most, the, the strongest sense I remember from it. But beyond that, I mean, even, I think that goes back a bit to, I thought there was something so, I don't know right about that how everything unfolded with waco because kelly's pool came out everybody saw it It, adrian won his world title and then everybody's attention went to (laughs) kelly's pool because he dropped that clip what a day or two later and like i think six hours later yeah and it was just like this thing that everybody wanted to and like every time you could even see more of it it was just everybody stopped and consumed it and it was just so controlled and i mean it's really impressive what they pulled off obviously but i'll never forget when that that backflip from Waco came out. Mm-hmm. I think it was during the U.S. Open. It was just it having that kind of feel like it came out of nowhere mm-hmm. in Texas, and then seeing like mm-hmm. people go there pretty quickly. And all of a sudden, it was like it seemed like you know it seemed like every edit or something you'd see for a while would you'd see people going off that insane slide they have, or just like somebody housing ten beers in that lazy river. And so something about that felt so fitting and right to me that like all of a sudden surfing now is part of this weird place like it yeah it it would have been upsetting to see it in like a really tailored kind of perfect curated thing whereas like this raw texas thing that came from at least my perspective out of nowhere and had just that type of stuff going on that felt like a good fit to me and then i think that's a big part of why i like that first stab high in waco too is just it had elements of that i mean even i think there's a massive party that night and Mm-hmm. all sorts of madness kind of took place and it, it's it just seemed like that texas energy was alive and well <laughs> so yeah it seems to me that it seems to me that around the world people or wave pools are doing a good job of of adding to the culture of surfing rather than just trying to replicate it somewhere that, that's something that, that that's kind of fascinated me with with surf brands and you having worked with quicksilver and done copywriting with them and been into it do you ever see how do you see brands courting wave pools meaning Hmm. do you think with some brands there's like they're they're holding back from saying we're going to go all in and do this do this wave pool thing that's an interesting one i mean i know that when i was at quicksilver there was talk of incorporating a wave pool into a potential place that would be sort of like a flagship for the company in some way 
they mm-hmm. weren't going, you know, they were just going to license the technology and all of that. But it was this, th- that's kind of the only take on it I've heard so far is just using it as like a pretty much using somebody like Quicksilver, which is a company and a logo that a lot of people recognize. So it's a win for somebody. And then pairing that with a wave, well, just making it like a, using that brand identity to show people like, Hey, this is, it's almost like a stamp of approval or authentication, mm-hmm. having it there, just saying like, okay, this is a the Quicksilver place. Or, you know, if another company did it as well, just using their kind of street cred to validate a pool. I wonder if we'll see more of it. I mean, that's the, that's the only thing I've heard around that in okay. terms of at least some of the big surf brands. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see more. I guess it just, from my perspective, at least being in there, they have these companies will always have a lot of other problems to solve. Good problems. Mm-hmm. Not meaning that there's problems there, but meaning that like to run a business, it's always just finding these solutions to things. And that the focus would be on the more fundamental things to the business before it would shift to these new ideas. But I could see it up going in such a way where maybe like a developer recognize the need to get a logo like that or a brand like that involved just to develop that sort of street cred is the term I'll use. But I can't, and again, this is just my, from my experience in there, I can't really see them actively pursuing it, but maybe signing up if somebody else comes, comes by with a proposal. So there's like, uh, you know, Vans has skate parks. So you're saying like the Quicksilver surf park, the Vans surf park in, in that kind of context. Yeah. Like I said, I could see it happening, but I'd, Maybe, I mean, it's also the type of thing where maybe a new study comes out or somebody does has a consulting firm come on and they kind of get this insight that that's going to be a point of difference and maybe have some data to show that's what a younger generation wants or that, that having a location like that is more important. It could just be something that simple that gets it going. But in terms of what I've heard so far, not much. And in terms of how I could see it going, that does seem to make sense to me. Just yeah, like a Quicksilver Surf Park or something, where it's it's you find ways to incorporate the brand into it. I mean, I know I think Quicksilver is involved in some way at Alaya. They have the shop there, and that yeah, was discussed have the, as we the board riders shop over there. And I know Rip Curl is has been involved with parks right when they start up. So people just learning to surf, they'll put on a Rip Curl wetsuit and they'll use that that branding. So there's like early impressioning for uh, new surfers. Yeah, that was similar to how it worked at Alaya from with Quick, from my understanding. It was just, hey, there's going to be a Swiss wave pool. They need a bunch of suits, probably did the all in the suits, and then also had the shop there. So it makes sense. I mean, if, if your first experience surfing is a good one and it's literally you're encapsulated by, <laughs> your body is surrounded by this garment that a company made, you'll probably have a good feeling about them. Okay, so let's jump in. I, I want to pick your brain about, like in in the big big picture, when you're talking about surfing, most wave pools have customers who are ocean surfers who are supplementing their sessions in the wave pool and having fun and, and getting lots of waves. The other component are people who are learning to surf in the wave pool who haven't been in the ocean for surfing purposes or have just been in, you know, once or twice taking a lesson in Costa Rica or whatever. Do you, how do in 10 years from now, if you were to fast forward that balance, which now I would say is about 75 ocean surfers, 25 
minmul, which is Korean for tap water, which is a, a word they're using for uh, surfers who only surfed in a wave pool. So right now, say we have we have seventy five salted, twenty five fresh water. What or minmul? <laughs> what? How do you see that changing in uh, five to ten years? I don't think the ocean surfers are ever going to go anywhere. Like I don't mm -hmm. think it seems like there's a ton of innovation still going on in that space. So I can't see it evolving in a way where ocean surfers lose interest. So I could only, they'll be there. And I think as more people start surfing, even if their introduction is through the ocean, if they have the chance to go to a pool and they could swing it, you know, getting there, paying for it, all of that, I, I don't see why they wouldn't. And I don't see that changing in the future. And in terms of the beginners, that's hard because I guess it depends on, I would think that would hinge on the business strategies at play there. Like if I would imagine pools can do certain things to try to rope that crowd in more and more, or they could do things that they could try to rope a more ocean-based crowd in more and more. So I guess it would, in my opinion, it would, I would think that it would hinge on that. But so I don't really know how that would skew in the future, but I just know that ocean surfers, I can't see going anywhere because things only seem to be getting better and better. Mm -hmm. And so why would they? It's too fun to sit out. <laughs> All right. So we, going back to the, the term minmul means tap water in Korean. It's used to describe surfers who've only learned how to surf in a wave pool. You tend to be like pretty, from, from what I know of you, Buck, you're, you're more open-minded. You're more embracing of all the, the spectrum of surfing, which is uh, really refreshing among core surfers. Uh, surfers tend to get very, uh, I don't know, dogmatic and, you know, cornered and Things aren't the way they used to be, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of stuff. Do you see that look? I don't know. Maybe for lack of a better term, that kind of uh, old school like localism. Surfing is only here, salted at this, you know, point break kind of viewpoint changing with with more wave pools coming coming to be. It's it's kind of a vague question, but. Basically, the uh, the kind of shift, like I'm thinking of stab comments, which can be, <laughs> kind oh, of, yeah. you know, really mean sometimes. So I'm thinking of that. Is that is that is that going to change as more uh, minmul surfers come to come to light? Let's see. I think there's a lot of forces at play there, and I do have to say, like since the paywall and since since we built that, you mm -hmm. have to be a paying subscriber to have the access to comments now to leave mm -hmm. a comment or to even see them. And since we've done that, it's cleaned it up so much. I mm -hmm. think the people we have there now on the site are great. I mean, sometimes they'll call stuff out and usually they're right, yeah. but our Instagram can still be quite a mess. I don't think that's reflective of our core audience. Sometimes, sometimes it is, but there are times where things are, you, you might see a post in the stab and there's, a few hundred, a thousand comments, and a lot of it can be ugly. Not mm -hmm. always, but on certain topics, it is. And yeah, I think there's a lot of forces that can change that sort of weird, entitled localism anger. I I don't think that the people who have that are the people who surf every day. I think that like I'd almost draw the comparison of like when inflatable vests first came to big wave lineups and they first became accessible to a broader audience. I think you saw a surge of surfers in big wave lineups. Like there used to be half the people at Mavs. I think Jaws especially 
it was just way less crowded out there. And then the fact that people had these vests that made them safer and you could pull, people didn't like that at first. And they, even the, the term go straight and inflate was used <laughs> for surfers who didn't have the skill to essentially, like they didn't put the time into honing that skill. And then they're out there getting in the way. I think that a sort of equilibrium has been reached now where if you look at any of those lineups, look at Jaws, Mavericks, Nazare is kind of its own beast because it's just towing when it's big and that's a different ball game. But you look at the world's best big wave lineups and regardless, even if they look like there's more heads out there now, the best surfers, the ones who are the most skilled and have put in the most time at those waves are getting the best waves. It's just without a doubt. Even if there's more heads, the people who have really... that you know, it's one thing they have to want those waves. So the people that want those waves and that have put the time in, they're getting them still. That hasn't changed. And I think a similar thing applies on just the smaller scale of just day-to-day surfing, where I think that anger comes from a lot of people that probably never really figured it out that much. Like, I, I feel like hmm. it's probably from people that were never, regardless of what they like to think, were never that good or that in tune with the ocean to get the best waves. And honestly, I don't think things have changed that much for them. They're just blaming there's just something obvious in front of them to blame so yeah i think in general i've never been in a lineup where i feel that a, a, per, a let's say the person who deserves it is the person who's put in the time which is time to hone that skill and to if it's a wave it's moody figure out how to read those moods i've never been in a situation where i've seen that person struggle to get the waves that i guess the deserve is a sketchy term but that they would deserve like it just to me if you've if you've honed that skill, those skills, you're fine. And I think that's regardless of how crowded it gets, and regardless if like there's an influx of surfers who learn in wave pools, if you're good, you're gonna get your waves. It's that simple. Okay. So the the cranky that we're seeing is more reflective of social media rather than poor surfers? I think so. I mean, I think yeah, I think you see it more personally, I see it way more in comments than I do in, in actual lineups Mm -hmm. and i just stand by even if somewhere looks crowded the if you want waves you're still getting them and even if you show up somewhere and you're not that skilled and you don't know how to read the waves as well then just don't go for a set there's still so many (laughs) waves in the ocean like it i don't think we're anywhere near the peak of or the point of like maximum capacity like not everybody has to wait for that five wave set Mm -hmm. like you can have plenty of fun just swinging on whatever so I've really, yeah, I I don't really see that. I see that way less in reality than I do in comment sections. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Thank you for for sharing that and and being so so open and and honest on it. What what is something about wave pools you'd like to throw in? Maybe something I haven't asked you yet, but that you've noticed or that you've seen that you think is, is really interesting or really frightening? What's do you have some some take you'd like to share with us, Buck? Hmm. I think Put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I think about is it's still we we're just talking about, I guess, their ability to affect surf culture in the water. And one thing that I think is still a question is how do they really affect surf performance? Especially we already see the younger generation, they're we have a generation now that's grown up, especially in the U.S., or people that have close access to the U.S. and can go to Waco, who have 100% benefited from that technology. You can see it in their surfing. They're able to... You've worked with, yeah, Aaron Brooks and some of the other Groms who who are just doing amazing airs. 
Yeah, yeah. And even we had Luke Swanson at Stab High this year, which was in the ocean in Indonesia. But he spent some time in wave pools. And you could just tell. You could. I think they have a whole different understanding of how to unlock tricks. In the past, it's like, okay, like I guess I'll just try that again when I get another section. And obviously, <laughs> you could live in certain places or even go on certain trips where you know you're going to have more reps and have more chances at whatever it is you're trying to figure out. But I think it's, it's, I've already seen a mentality shift. Like you've seen it in the way people are riding waves, but I've already seen a mentality shift in a generation of people who've been able to go places and figure out these surf tricks. And like, I, I don't think it counts until you pull it off in the ocean. Like mm-hmm. you could spend, in my opinion, you know, you could spend so much time in a wave pool and land something that goes crazy on Instagram. It's cool and it's fun to watch. But in terms of like, a, I don't think a kid landing their first air reverse or something really feels that confident in it until they land in the ocean or like a new grab. I think it's like still at a point where it's known that like, okay, wave pools, you could figure it out, but it's not really going to count as you figured out until it's in the ocean or that count as you've done it since, until you do it in the ocean. So that I'm just wondering if that'll change though, because this is this is the first kind of generation that we've seen with it, and I do wonder ten years from now, you know, the the younger kids even now, the kids that are like six, eight, that are already probably doing airs and pools, how they'll feel about it, because they're just gonna have so much experience in there, and I think that it remains to be seen how it, like how it interacts with surf performance and how how it's even viewed, like with if that whole idea of like it has to be done in the ocean to count if that sticks around or if it goes away. I think it'll probably depend a lot on how many more wave pool events we see. You know, if that that big elusive one, if the Olympics ever go there, I think that would obviously do a lot in terms of making anything done in a wave pool credible off the bat. Okay. So looking at some of the things going back to salted versus freshwater, you you know, you grew up, you've been surfing since you were you were a kid. You grew up salted. Some of the lessons that surfing teaches you, you know, I, you, I think most people would agree. You, you, you learn patience. You learn you can't control the ocean. You kind of learn this flow. Do you want to add anything to that? Like what, what you learn in the ocean before I go on with the second part? Oh, boy. Uh, what have you learned in the ocean? I've learned a lot in the ocean. I feel like it's surfing has almost become this way for me to make sense out of other things. Like it's almost as if mm-hmm. to understand. If you introduce a new idea to me, I might. There's a chance. There's a good chance I have to make a surfing analogy, even if it's in my head, to to really <laughs> grasp it. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it, to, I guess that's just to say that it's taught me everything, and there's always some sort of analogy I can find in it. But yeah, definitely patience. Definitely patience. That's a probably the most obvious one. Okay. So these things, do you see for someone who's who learned to surf in a wave pool? Do you see them being able to draw some of these same lessons, you know, even environmentalism because it's tied to surfing? Do you think someone who learns to surf in a wave pool can benefit from some of these, uh, I don't know, core beliefs or lessons? Yes, but they'd have to spend time in the ocean. I don't think it's specifically the act of riding waves that teaches you some of these things. I think it's just dealing with the ocean, which is dealing with nature dealing with something that's unpredictable and that you have to read and that you have to spend so much time studying to become literate in. I think it's possible, but I don't see how you get some of those lessons just out of a wave pool. Like, yes, I think surfers, you know, we, 
we are always talked about as people that are just on the forefront of experiencing the environment, which some people say should make us more tuned to climate change. And I agree with that, but it seems that some people in surfing still like to deny climate change and shit like that. So I'm not really sure what their trip is. But in general, I think that's a valid theory that being on the front lines and experiencing it every day, putting yourself out there every day is certainly going to put you more in tune with things than somebody who, you know, spends two hours a week outside. But I couldn't see somebody having that lesson instilled in the same, in, in at least as impactful as a way in a wave pool. Speaking of my experience with wave pools, it was a great time, but it was, I didn't feel very connected to nature during them. It's, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that sense of it, but that could have been because that said, if you work, if you are that spend two hours a week outside type of person and one of your hours a week happen to be at a pool, then that's a way different perspective. And so I'm coming at that from a, a, the level of somebody who probably spends eight hours a week in the ocean. <laughs> okay. So we just, um, we just posted something on the website about wave in Bristol. Someone is working on their PhD and they set up cameras and a whole setup to record people's facial expressions when they surf. And these were people who had never surfed before. So the result compared with other facial recognition w- was that people were happy. <laughs> There's sure. a certain joy that that surfing brings to people. Why is it that surfing brings more joy to someone than, say, football or, or like we talked about earlier, snowboarding? Do you think it's inherent in surfing itself? Or do you think that depends on the individual and at what time in their life they were introduced to surfing? That's a really interesting question, because I think I think if you were to do a similar thing, like if you were to throw somebody a football and record their face, you had a way to, as they're running to go catch it, I'll talk about American football here for uh, <laughs> yeah, anybody that the thinks, hands, catch it. <laughs> anything that thinks that football should involve the feet. How dare you? But to use that analogy, if you're going to catch a ball, I'm sure your face isn't exactly registering joy, but it's probably registering like focus, right? And if that works out, it's going to feel good. You're going to get some rush out of that, right? And so I do think that there is joy in other, I can see like, I get joy in that. I'd have fun if you, if you and I threw a ball around for 15 minutes, I'd enjoy that. It just feels good. There's something inherently human about it feeling good when it goes right, you know? And so I don't think that joy would register on the, in a facial way as it's happening. But at some point, you'd, you know, you, I think you'd find some signs that these people are enjoying this activity, right? And I feel like you get the same thing with surfing. I feel like if you did that, with John John, Super Tubos could be pretty good this weekend. If he's in his heat, I doubt you're gonna see joy in his face when he's like scooping into a six foot wave. I think you're gonna see that same focus and it's still gonna feel good to him. And even if he wasn't in the heat, I think the same thing. Like actually with his level of comfort, <laughs> he might be smiling. But for the rest of us, we'd be we'd be terrified on that wave. Even if we went, we'd be not you wouldn't see joy, you'd see fear. Fear and focus, I think. So I think the joy just comes from the fact that there's so much going on when you're on a wave that nothing else can really exist. There's just not space for it. You know, like if, if something else is there, surfing isn't going to go well. And there's just so much like happening and it changes. It's so dynamic that it can't, you know, I think everybody probably has this experiences where you get off a wave and you don't really even know what you did. You're like, did I do it? Turn <laughs> yeah. there? Like what happened? 
I think that just has a lot to do with the just how dynamic it is. But I think Joy, I think Comfort would have to be there and jo- for Joy to register, you know, because I think there's definitely moments where we're kind of grimacing in the ocean. Or, you know, people are probably grimacing a wave pool too if they're not familiar with some of the, the waves that okay. they're on. Okay, but it's cool to know. That's a cool study regardless. That's uh Yeah, really yeah. I think I, I probably butchered the uh, actual interpretation of it, but it's that's the general gist. And a more simple way to ask that question would have been just uh, why is surfing so addictive when compared to other sports? Like surfers, you'll have, uh, you know, back in the day, you, oh, I'm going to wait tables for the next 10 years, so I'm free in the mornings to surf. Football doesn't do that to someone. Why is surfing so addictive? I think it comes down to that slot machine effect of, of you never, you can't control the waves day by day, and you can't control them while you're out there. And so there's always this problem to solve. There's always this equation to figure out. There's always this thing to read that it compels you in that regard like you always want to try to extract something out of it and it's always this yeah this formula that you have to figure out and tune into so i think the fact that it is always changing and there's always this sort of thing that you can go try to figure out is compelling i think that draws us to it and then i think it's just that that joy of when it actually works out feels really good and i guess like in a wave pool sense it's so much more controlled maybe it's just a matter of like there's still so much going on though. Yeah, it's more controlled in the ocean, but like performance probably factors in heavier there. Like if you if you were just so close, that turn felt almost just right on that one. And then like you happen to get yourself in that same thing again. I think it's just like, there's just so many factors that would keep you coming back just because it feels like there's almost always unfinished business. I guess in another sport, you could always feel like there's another competitor to beat or something like that. I don't know. I don't understand running. Like, like just an activity where you have to do that. Like I'm sure somebody could explain it to me well, but like whenever I see anybody running, I just feel so lucky for surfing. I'm like, imagine if that was your thing. Like, fuck, that looks annoying. Yeah, I I know what you mean, but I don't admit it. And uh... <laughs> it, no, it's miserable. It's horrible running. Yeah, well, that's that's the same thing. I, I could never understood uh, cycling, bicycles. Like when I was a kid. I would ride a bike, it'd be three miles to the beach. So I just hated it because the bike was the means to get to what you wanted to do, which was surfing. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't feel warmth or any interest in cycling because of that. Yeah. I'm going to quote a philosopher, uh, Kenny Powers here, and say, I'm not trying to be the best at exercising. <laughs> okay. Well, right on. Thank, thank you so much for your uh, your insight, Buck. Came off great. You're, it's it, it's nice to kind of get out of our our bubble and to talk to a salted professional such as yourself who can bring insights that ordinarily we wouldn't uh, really have access to. So thank you very much for that. Well, I really enjoyed it. I'm happy to be just a salted cod for you here in Portugal. <laughs> you are the yeah. bacalao. Have you been having the the bacalao? Oh no, it's, I hate it. It's so gross. <laughs> Only if it's wet. Like if it's like if it's uh, crusty, uh, all over. It's it's pretty good. But if it's goopy, forget about it. <laughs>
Oh man, I can't do it. I'm not. I'm not huge on seafood anyway, which I know some of it. I, <laughs> and you're in Portugal. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll force myself sometimes. Um, and some of it, like there are places that when it's done right, I'm like, yeah, I get it. This is really good, but like, not enough to like pursue just any time I'm in the supermarket, which I was earlier today. Just those massive uh, salty fish carcasses. I'm like, I don't want that in my body. No, you have it. So. All right. Well, th- thank you very much for joining us, Brendan. And uh, we'll we'll talk to you uh, soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.